The world's population has grown to 8 billion people. As a society, how we keep up with the increasing need for electricity while addressing our climate goals is a growing challenge. Renewable energies like wind and solar are part of the solution, but we also need full-time sources of clean power when the sun isn't shining and the wind isn't blowing. That's where existing and advanced nuclear energy comes in. Nuclear is clean air energy, and it's reliable and available 24-7. Plus, nuclear energy generates thousands of times more power using a fraction of the land that wind and solar would need. Energy Northwest is proud to provide clean, abundant, and reliable energy to help meet our growing needs. Learn more about nuclear energy and its full potential at energy-northwest.com. That's energy-northwest.com. Welcome to News Data's Energy West, a podcast about the energy industry today and where it's going tomorrow. Hello, I'm Dan Catchpole, reporter with News Data's Clearing Up. Here's my co-host and the editor of News Data's California Energy Markets, Jason Fordney. We're here with some of our top stories. First, Jason, how are you doing this week? I'm great, Dan. How are you? Do you have a good weekend? Uh, I had a great weekend. Beautiful weather up here in Seattle. It was like yeah. 70s, 80s, sunny. Great nice. weekend for Mother's Day. Mm-hmm. Went for a hike yesterday, uh, Perfect. which was uh, cut a little short when my oldest daughter thought it would be funny to take uh, some stinging nettles and slash her younger sister. Uh, oh, oh, yeah, yeah. So I assume that didn't go over well. No, not so. You know, but like the our youngest, um, she's the you know, third of three, and that kid is the toughest person I know. She. Nice. Did not scratch it. We told her not to, and she didn't. Um, yeah. I ran, sprinted down to the car, and came back and picked them up. Uh, and hmm. yeah, it was it was a great day, though. Um, <laughs> but we had a yeah, had a little talk with our older daughter later. A little little drama there yeah. sounds like. Hmm. Well, I only I have one, it- so I don't I don't have these inter sibling issues, but. Yeah, we uh, we hung out at the river all day. The Yuba, like just beautiful. Great day. Yeah, it was amazing. The river is, of course, running pretty, pretty much white water right now. Oh yeah. Yep. Were you guys yeah. in the river or just on the river? We were able riverside. to wade around, but man, that water is cold. It's like hey, painfully th- cold. I feel like this is a good time for. PSA on river safety in the spring. Yeah. It's We've already had uh, some issues here around here. Yeah. We had a kayaker that drowned already. Oh. Uh, this these rivers are deceiving. They will grab you and carry you away. So folks, everybody loves going to the rivers in the spring, especially this time of year when the weather's warming up. But remember, those rivers are full of cold runoff. And water yes. is fun until it isn't and it can turn dangerous in just a matter of seconds this has been a public service announcement well done thank you <laughs> what's uh, going but on seriously in the folks be be careful on water mm. i love playing in the water but it's yeah it can turn dangerous really quick we have uh, well spot. you know we have yeah. we had a kind of slow week up here news wise um okay I think you, you've got the more interesting stories this week, but uh, some wildfires mm-hmm. up in Western Canada disrupting natural gas supplies into the U.S. And uh, right. 
also Portland General General Electric and Pacific Corps were presenting their wildfire mitigation plans to Oregon legislators. Uh, just so some updates on that. Uh, how about you? You've got some more, I think, more exciting things going on in your neck of the woods. Yeah, um, we have a ZEV workshop that's zero emission vehicles from the California Air Resources Board, Air Resources Board, trying to figure out how to get ZEVs more widespread in disadvantaged communities. Then uh, I have my story I did on the PG&E, not PGE, but Pacific Gas and Electric, uh, their latest safety monitor report. And then we've got some wildlife action from uh, California sea lions coming up north there and eating all the salmon. So uh, tell us about the the ZEV access. I mean, this is becoming a huge issue increasingly about yeah yeah uh zero emission cars right now they've been for the well-to-do the affluent but mm-hmm. uh, there's real increasing conversation and efforts to expand access so what what's going on uh, in the story from ann ernst yeah well the uh california has actually had these zev incentive programs going on for more than 10 years and the original goal was just getting zevs on the road but now as as I guess it was phrased at this CARB workshop is the target demographic demographic of an affluent, educated white male has shifted. And so have the programs designed to incentivize people to purchase ZEVs. This is a May 10th CARB symposium. Lessons learned from implementing, implementing the agency's light duty transportation equity incentives program. They're seeking input to help them understand what works and what changes need to be made to help the state reach its greenhouse gas emission goals. Some key takeaways from this uh, focus on simplifying applications and other program material, realigning incentive eligibility and adjusting financing priorities. There is some discussion here about sort of simplifying the language and making it more plain, getting rid of jargony words and phrases, getting rid of uh, acronyms, which was always good. Um, So yeah, they said this suggested using terms like electric cars rather than acronyms such as PHEV, which is plug-in electric hybrid, instead of referring to chargers at level one, level two, or direct current, just call them charges, and using the term income eligible instead of the phrase low income, which has a negative connotation, and income requirement definitions, another area that causes confusion. Some programs and applications ask for gross income while others ask for adjusted income. It'd be helpful to standardize what information is going to be required in applications. Uh, The cost of the vehicles, interest rates, uh, DMV fees, and other things have increased. So one person, Michael Saint from the Ecology Action Group, said it would be helpful to shift income eligibility to 400% of the federal poverty level from 300%. Another suggestion was to define eligibility for financial assistance using the SNAP program, which is a supplemental nutrition assistance program or SNAP, because people who are income eligible would already be vetted for that. So yeah, just a lot of discussion here, how to get EVs in more disadvantaged areas. This is you know, something that we've written about is generally higher income, more educated people are ZEV customers, but 
maybe this will help and uh you know more models getting available um and you know i do think tesla has helped make the ev sort of a sexier type of machine i i saw a prius in the playground parking lot this weekend and the bumper sticker said cool prius dash said nobody so and that's <laughs> on a prius yeah <laughs> so uh, it's nice I... self-humor there from the ev people all for self-deprecation yes most journalists uh, once are. upon a once upon a time i my wife and i had a prius and then we kept having kids yeah you have an ev though uh we do we yeah we just got one last fall uh volkswagen id4 and i love it it's great that sounds pretty cool i i went, drove down from seattle to portland uh and that i you know the range thing i get it it is yeah and and also having to wait to recharge um yeah you know, it, it, pulling into a gas station is a lot more convenient you know, you're in right. and out in a few minutes and without uh since it's not a tesla i can't do the supercharger thing um that's the weirdest thing longer to me, how these but, things are proprietary like that. yeah and uh, it's it's like chargers for electronic devices Yep. You know, Apple's got their charger. And then at least there's some, if I feel like there's increasing, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Standardization with the, mm -hmm. the USB C, uh, plug for, it seems like more and more devices. Um, yeah. Not in the end of them. But yeah, it'd be nice if it was the same thing for car chargers. It really uh, should be. I, I don't drive an EV, but I imagine that. If you're traveling long distances, it's a pretty big issue. And um, yeah, I see people coming into charging stations and then moaning and groaning that they can't charge there because they don't have the right equipment. Well, uh, but, uh, I, I imagine, yeah, it's, uh, you know, as market share increases, as we have more and more drivers, that'll we'll just have to force some simplification on that, right? Yep. Hopefully, at least in theory. I'm still waiting for my Zev truck, a good one. It oh, doesn't cost yeah. ninety thousand dollars. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> well, so you uh, be coming down. You're going to tell us about some fires up in Alberta disrupting gas and oil. Yeah. So there's a state of emergency declared uh, this the uh, past few days. With, uh, let's see, the province of Alberta uh, reported they had, as of the evening of May 11th, so just a few days ago when this was, from when this was recorded on the 15th, they had 24 out of 77 wildfires burning out of control. Wow. And it was to the point that uh, it was, and they're just spread out across Western water, or Western Canada. Mm-hmm. So oil and natural gas producers had to either shut down production or just really be watching it and ready to shut it down, depending on the weather conditions. And so we saw uh, imports into the U.S. fall by a by 16 percent uh, wow. day to day between May 1st and May 8th. And so this really put a squeeze on supply and put uh some upward price pressure uh which 
uh, yeah. you know, buyers were feeling here. It's crazy. Pretty early in the season too, but man, a lot of, a lot of fires up there in Alberta. Yeah. I mean, is I, I would say in terms of the market prices, it kind of hit at a, it, it's a, this is a lot better time than to hit say in July. Mm-hmm. There's much more demand because of need for cooling. So it's, yep. it was, it hit, you know, it was still fairly cool in the Northwest or at least in a lot of the Northwest. Um, and natural gas, uh, or companies that use natural gas or supply natural gas, uh, use it for electricity generation or just supply it directly. Uh, a lot of them, you know, they, I mean, they all stock up for the winter or for the summer. Uh, so, I think they were able to absorb the the supply constriction uh and it just that's a fortunate timing but you know again it just is another uh evidence point of how uh, how precarious our supply network can be uh, yep. and it doesn't take a lot you know we got a lot of bottlenecks so yeah Fortunately, and, uh... this one was not too bad fires in british columbia too so not just alberta yeah yeah i mean alberta i think was the worst hit but yeah it was mm-hmm. no there's definitely across western canada yep hopefully so speaking of wildfires you've got a pg e story yeah this is the latest internal safety monitor report from a firm known as filsinger energy partners this is part of this pg e bankruptcy where the California Public Utilities Commission created this internal safety monitor. Latest report came out um, focusing really uh, on October 1st, 2022 through March 31st, and is an update of an initial report. And what they found was reliability going downhill, uh, but that's really intentional as they're doing a lot more public safety power shutoffs and their enhanced power line settings that you hear PG&E talk a lot about. But there was a corresponding reduction in wildfire. So good news. Uh, between 2015 and 2020, there's an outage duration measure known as a system average interruption duration index, which increased by 53% in that time. And this is obviously a measure of outages. These were driven by the PSPSs and the Enhanced Power Line Safety Programs. Um, since then, this metric has increased by 66%. pg e is in the fourth quartile for this, the bottom 25%. And there's also been a shift in capital spending from reliability programs to wildfire mitigation, which also has you know reliability economic impacts on customers. However, since 2017, the number of reportable ignitions in PG&E's high fire threat districts has been in steady decline. There was 59 of these ignitions in 2017 to 14 in 2022, 76% increase. And since PG&E expanded the EPSS program, uh, and after its implementation in 2021, there was a 74% drop in reported ignitions on those circuits compared with 2018 through 2020. Also, some discussion here of pretty severe supply chain problems that PG&E had been facing. They thought they weren't going to hit their wildfire mitigation targets, but uh, they 
sort of put some strategies in place, partnering with other businesses, referring jobs to, uh, to available substitute materials and stepping up communication with suppliers. And uh, that led to a lot of the supply chain problems being worked out. So, yeah, I guess it's logical that, you know, the more you shut off lines, the less fires that you have. And it's kind of a, uh, a no-win choice there. But um happy to see that things seem to be getting a little bit safer on the PG&E system. We all yeah. know the story there. It's been pretty, uh, pretty dramatic um, history there. Fatal wildfires. Glad to see it getting to better. To say the least. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, so speaking of wildfires, PGE, Portland General Electric, yeah, is really confusing, and uh-huh. Pacific Core. So they were uh, in front of legislators in Oregon presenting their wildfire mitigation plans and talking just about public policy around wildfire mitigation with uh, when it comes to electric utilities. And uh, Pacific Core's representative there, uh, senior vice president, of advanced energy delivery, Larry Beckdahl, was telling legislators that they've really learned uh, from a big 2022 PSPS, public safety power shutoff, that they really need to get more precise about when and where they do that. Uh, And in part, that includes like uh, increasing hardening of the system so that they can be more precise about it. Yeah. Uh, and because, so they had a shutoff in September that uh, left 12,000 customers in the dark, which isn't a huge number for Pacific Core, but it's certainly, you know, they this is on their radar. They want to, they know this is an important tool when it comes to wildfires, but at the same time, uh, they and PG&E are you know, saying like, look, we need to get a finer point on this so that we can make this make these calls with less, you know, uh, less harm, less pain. Yeah. Um, so it's certainly sure. something they're working on. And uh, Pacific Core right now is trying, they, as part of their wildfire mitigation, they are looking to replace nearly 600 miles of their uh, trans- transmission system. Wow. They plan to spend $600 million in the next five years on wildfire mitigation. PGE, which is a you know considerably smaller but still big utility, plans to spend 110 million. So, it's a big dollars behind this. Yeah, indeed. Man, well, just, what a situation. Yeah. So with the uh, time we've got left, uh, tell us about. Let's go from the dry dry forest to the the oceans. The uh, oceans. Sea lions. Yeah. We. Yeah. You've got an update on sea lions and salmon. Right. It's some research on sea lion predation on spring Chinook salmon. It's been going on for about 10 years. Uh, They're finding that sea lions might be eating as much as half of the salmon run, depending on the year, before the fish cross Bonneville Dam. Um, So beginning in 2010 and continuing through 2021, uh, NOAA Fisheries Research led by biologists, randomly captured spring Chinook in the Columbia River estuary, inserted passive integrated transponder tags and radio tags on the fish, and then tracked their movements. Fish did not arrive at the dam and whose disappearance could not be explained in another way through harvest or disease were considered to have been eaten by sea lions in 
These are, of course, California sea lions heading up there. Uh, there's two two main types of uh, sea lions. Um, but yeah, this is trying to work on this problem. Um, but the funding is an issue. Uh, without funding to continue the tagging and in-river monitoring, research continues using the trove of accumulated data, especially data collected in 2016, 2017, uh, genetics data, and the tagged fish. Here's a quote. We were collecting such good information, it was only getting better with the genetics as those capabilities increased. That's Michelle Rubb of the Northwest Fisheries Science Center. Um, we now have parent-based genetics typing so we can trace a lot of these individual fish to hatcheries where they were raised and released it gives us a really specific information about which fish are coming in from the ocean as adults and which populations might be more vulnerable and some kind of fun details on the sea lions they can get quite large uh, i think i saw yeah there's there's two species the california sea lions they can get up to 800 pounds. And then you have the stellar sea lions. Uh, one of those was recently weighed at 1,700 pounds. Uh, man, these are beasts. And the closing quote, these are huge, aggressive, and wild. You don't want to be around when they, when they are angry and thrashing. So it's always... That sounds like good advice. Yeah. And oh, we are full of public safety announcements today. Aren't we? Yeah, that's one, yeah. just one more reason to listen, folks. Yeah, yes, and, <laughs> indeed. So, you lines. know, be careful with your public safety, uh, public power. My oh, man, I can't talk. Public safety yes, power yes. shutoffs. Uh, thank you. Yeah, be careful around rivers, especially in the spring, and don't mess with sea lions. No, Zalifus californius. Californus. That their that's their scientific name. Yeah, and uh, I like these stories because we run some fun art, and we've managed to find that a, is picture a great of picture. A, yeah, you like that? Yeah. Thank you, yeah, Flicker. Salmon. Yeah, they're everywhere. We see sea lions, you know, with the Bay Area, obviously, and something you know I never saw on the East Coast, obviously. But first one I saw, I thought there was a dog in the water, and then oh. I'm on the West Coast now. <laughs> it, it is. It does amaze me that for all the money we spend uh, on fish and wildlife mitigation, one of the biggest impediments, one of the biggest factors behind the the decline in the salmon population is sea lions just parking themselves outside <laughs> Bonneville Dam and just lining up for the buffet. Yep. And how do you solve that? That's a tricky one. Yeah. I mean, I, I know in the past they've done, they've transplanted them, but then they just come back. Yep. Yeah. They, they travel some long distances for sure. That's tough. Yeah. You know, how do you get everything in perfect balance? It's ne never is perfect, but uh, yeah. So research continuing, apparently funding is an issue. So Hopefully uh, that'll get resolved. This is guest column from John Harrison of the Northwest Power and Conservation Council, or formally. formally. Yeah. Yes. And also was a newspaper reporter. Yeah, yep, that's right. Yeah. 
Yeah, he had a great story, and I'll I'll leave listeners with this. So uh, the founder of News Data, Cyrus Mo Moy, how do you, I forget I how to know. pronounce his last name. It's a tough uh, Yeah. Uh, he, so John Harrison was at the Vancouver newspaper, Vancouver, Washington. And uh, this, this was during the whoops crisis when, you know, the biggest public def- bond default in American history. Mm-hmm. And uh, so his editor was like, you've covered, a, you know, power power utilities go cover the story and he's <laughs> so he's at a press briefing uh where the public officials were explaining why they defaulted on this you know multi-billion dollar uh, public bond uh plan to build nuclear plants in washington only one of which got built and he said he was looking around the room and every pr- reporter had a perplexed look on their face except for one it was our the founder of News Data, Cyrus. And so he <laughs> saddled up next to Cyrus and was like, what the hell are they talking about? <laughs> so he was, he was very sympathetic and uh, you know, very kindly walked John through the intricacies of what was going on. And, uh, you know, John's editor thought he did a great job covering it. And, cool. Yeah. You know, John's like, I don't get it. I don't deserve any of the credit. It's, yeah. It was all Cyrus helping me out. Uh, just, explaining stuff to me from what i've heard that whoops crisis was big factor in clearing up starting up as a publication and then yeah later california that's where the name came from that's why we have a weird name yeah it's memorable though and thank you we're still paying it off yeah (laughs) still paying that crazy isn't it yeah i forget what the the current number is but you know our my children will still be paying it off, I'm sure. That is unbelievable. Another public safety announcement. Yep. Be careful well when you launch major public bond issues, you know, uh, strategies. No doubt. Something to remember. Well, on that note, that's all for me, Dan Catchpole. Thank you for listening. Uh, please rate and review this podcast wherever you listen on you know, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, wherever or pass along to a friend. Energy West is edited and produced by our colleagues at Pioneer Utility Resources and Lucky Sound Studio. You can find me on Twitter. I'm at dcatchpole and clearing up is at CU News Data. News Data. That's the letters C-U and News Data. California Energy Markets is likewise on Twitter at C-E-M News Data. That's the letter C-E-M. I'm on there too at Fordney Energy. Hey, thanks for listening, everybody. We'll see you back here next week.